Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Splash, splash, splash. Apply a little splash. When your windshield's getting dirty, just apply a little splash. When your windshield's full of grime, bugs, dirt, and snow, just use a little splash and be safe on the road. Splash, splash, splash. Apply a little splash. When your windshield's getting dirty, just apply a little splash. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Song Facts Podcast. I am your host, as always, Corey O'Flanagan, and this podcast is proudly a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Thank you so much for listening. Do us a favor, subscribe, leave a review, tell a friend. You know the stuff I'm bringing. So today on the show, we have an amazing young talent named Gillette Johnson, who hails originally from New York City, but talks to us today from her bedroom and home in Nashville, Tennessee. She has recently moved there, and as she puts it, enjoys being the weird one in town. Her new album, It's a Beautiful Day and I Love You, comes out February 12th and showcases four years of growth for this talented singer and songwriter. As someone who churns out songs to the tune of a couple hundred every year, you can rest easy knowing that these are the cream of the crop. I enjoyed listening to the album, I enjoyed learning more about Gillette, and I really think that you will too, so please, please, please enjoy Gillette Johnson. Gillette Johnson, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't know for sure. I didn't know if there was like a, if you, sometimes you throw the E at the end, Gilletta. I don't know. I, I've gotten many versions of it. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been called Gilliet, Gilletti, uh, Juliet, Jillian. <laughs> people, a lot of it is just people not really reading the name. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. I had to keep going back and being like, okay, we got this. We got this. Um, but you've got a brand new album. This is the main reason that we're here right now coming out February 12th. It's called a beautiful day. And I love you. And when it's I see this, I it's a beautiful day and I love you. My question when I read this was, did you come up with this title before the chaos of 2020 started? I did. Yeah. You did. Um, well, it, the title is also a title of a song that's on yep. the record. Um, and once I knew that that song was going to be on the record, I just knew that the record should be called It's a Beautiful Day and I Love You. And it was definitely before the pandemic, before all the, the chaos ensued. So I kind of had no idea how uh, important it would be to continue to say to people, it's a beautiful day and I it's love so you. so true. That's why I asked. Yeah, it's a, a lot of it has been pretty uh, kismet, I guess is the word I would use. Like the first single that we put out was in July and it was a song called I Shouldn't Go Anywhere, which I, I actually wrote like quite a quite a bit ago. So okay. like um, it, it has nothing to do really with actually not being able to go anywhere. But it was just like, wow, this song is really being given some new meaning now that it's like important for us to not go anywhere 
that's a really beautiful song and i'm excited to talk about it a little bit later and what, one of the nice things about this is that i know that performing now was going to become a little bit of an issue but it sounds like you're going to do some special recordings of a couple songs just for us right I am. Yeah, I was uh, I was racking my brain yesterday trying to figure out how to make music sound um, pleasant <laughs> through Zoom <laughs> yesterday. And it just wasn't I downloaded like four different like software programs. Oh, you really went for it. <laughs> well, I wanted to figure it out. I mean, it, it's it, it's like an important thing to know how to do right now. But it just every time it just sounded like. I was like underwater or I don't yeah. know. So yes, I will be recording specifically for you guys some stripped down versions. Oh, that's fantastic. That's what we love. Um, okay, so let's go back a little bit. I want to talk about your your early career in music because it's it's not every day that I feel like I get to talk to a phenom and I feel like you are. Oh my God. Phenom. You are. I mean, listen to this. Let me, let me, just, let me just do some <laughs> bragging on you for a second. <laughs> Um, born in and around New York City, sounds like kind of a New York suburb, started playing piano and writing your own music before the age of 10, started playing live venues, playing a couple hour gigs of your own in and around New York City by the age of 12. If that's not Feedem, what is? Uh just weird obsession, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I mean, that's just unbelievable to me. I'm so jealous because I wish that I would have, I didn't get, I didn't start playing any instruments until I was like 20. So I just really missed out on that whole thing of learning as a child and just being a sponge like that. So I'm, I'm very envious of that. Um, what did you learn in those early days playing around New York City at, at that age that stays with you today? Ooh, I think I learned some very, um, uh, some very deep seated, like intuitive practices about how to be with people and music and how okay. to be with myself in front of people. Um, I, 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 you know, I had to learn how to open up and still stay really grounded in what I was doing and really connected to music and really, um, be vulnerable in front of strangers and yep. like uh learn how to command a room sure. um and i remember my first recital so this was before i started showing people that i had been writing songs and i had never you know done anything in public before but my first yeah. recital at seven and i sang <laughs> colors of the wind from pocahontas oh god because uh, i'd been taking voice lessons and my dad in my kitchen, we were actually living in California at the time, was trying to like help me work the room. He was trying to help me practice working the room. So we were using like, you know, brooms and vacuums and yeah. all of the like the, you know, sort of mic looking gear that we had. And I had worked up this whole like open routine of how I was gonna sing and like open my arm. <laughs> and then um the recital came and I just like stood like a stick with my arms to my side and looked down the whole oh, no. time. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, um, uh, yeah, that was, that was my first taste of like, Oh, when you're in front of people, like something really changes, mm -hmm. like you can, you can have this beautiful moment with music alone. And it, no matter what you do, like, you're sharing energy with other people yeah. when there's other people in the room. So you kind of have to learn how to ride that and like control it, but also be open to it and be kind of brave. Um, so I think that stuff has really stuck with me. And I definitely over the years of touring that I've done and just like some comfortable and some wildly uncomfortable uh, moments of exposure to different groups of people, like, yeah. I've had moments where I'm like, oh, like I'm about to lose it. Like the car is going to go off the cliff. And there is something very like instinctual that helps me kind of just <laughs> somehow keep command and like yeah. walk off stage without totally bursting into tears. I mean, that makes sense to me. There's 
you you were at one point playing around like 200 plus shows a year right did i read that um, right? yeah when my first record came out i had never toured before i had only been playing shows in new york and i had done that for you know i guess it was like a decade and then i was signed to a real label and had you know just the whole thing happening and i I had never done a lot of those things before. So I started touring and I started touring really hard. Yeah. Um, it was a lot, a lot of great experience. Absolutely. Okay. So then the next thing that is kind of a surprise on your, on your CV, if we will, is that you turned down an invite to appear on the voice. And this is a really cool thing to me because I'm wondering, was it hard decision to turn your back on that sort of almost guaranteed exposure and essentially just gamble on yourself to get where to get to where you are now. I definitely thought about it. Um, it was an exciting proposition to go to a new play. Well, it wasn't new to go to California and like do the whole thing and be on TV. And I definitely um, I, I could there was a carrot being dangled. And it sort of worked a little bit, but every step of the way honestly felt so terrible. Like I, I was kind of like corralled into auditioning for them. It was the first season of the voice. So nobody knew what this show was. Okay. And I had, you know, I'd watched American Idol and never really liked it. I was just like, this isn't really what I think about when I think about making music. It's, it's, it's so performative to a point that I don't really see where the artistry is. Um, And so I went to this like voice audition in New York and I made it past the rounds, but all the way through, there were people with cameras in my face going like, isn't this the most important thing you've ever done in your entire life? Why don't you tell us like how this is everything to you? And I was like, that's not like, I've, I've been through some crazy shit already. And I, I I don't really, actually know if I want to do this. So they didn't really like that <laughs> when I said that into the camera. Um, but then I got, I got an offer to come and like do the show. And with it was a contract that was just the, it was just the worst contract you could ever sign. It was like giving away so much for so long to people that you would never meet who probably would never like let you out of it and I had a friend of the family who was a lawyer look at it and he was like you know I don't really know much about the music industry but this is pretty bad um and then at the same time I was working with the producers of my first record and we had been talking about like starting to look for a record deal and in the fine print of the contract it was like you can't have any deals with anyone else so you can't mm-hmm. have a deal with a producer you can't have any kind of anything and I was like you know I feel like my odds of having a real career are a lot higher actually if I just keep doing what I'm doing cuz that's that's kind of like it feels like it's happening. Yeah. It feels like more of a risk to just cut ties with everything and go on this giant show with a bunch of strangers and just hope that like they have mercy on me. Yeah. But I mean, this is one thing that I think is that I think of, and especially how you've come to this point in your career, from what I can tell is that one of your strong suits is your ability to write songs. So something like a voice, which is essentially what glamorized karaoke of just singing covers like you would i'm sure in the contract it's you can't like even if you've got a great song we're not necessarily going to let you sing it on here like that kind of stuff and that would just kind of be like boxing you in in a situation where you're like no i've got this creative energy going on and i really just feel more comfortable doing my own thing and i think it's pretty phenomenal that you were um able to make that decision because i think like you said that's a carrot that gets dangled in front of people that gets really hard to turn down because there is the glitz and glamour of going out to Hollywood and shooting the show. And yeah, I I think just great work. I'm going to do a really weird transition here now because I just talked about you bragged on you for writing your own songs, but I do want to talk a little bit about your um, amazing cover of Joni Mitchell's river.
So what does an artist like Joni mean to you? Joni is one of my favorite artists of all time. Um, I started listening to her when I was pretty young. Uh, I think relatively for someone who really becomes obsessed with Joni. Like (laughs) I started listening to her when I was 13, which wasn't like at the beginning of my start of making music, but Mm -hmm. it really, um, it really just challenged me. And I, because of that, I also I'm curious about that because she's such an amazing songwriter. I'm just wondering as someone who's, I mean, at 13, you've already got, I imagine, three to five years of songwriting under your belt. So, yeah, did, what did you pivot? Did you start seeing like, ooh, here's another way that I can write music? I, you know, I don't know if it was a hard pivot or not. I just remember I started listening to Joni because I knew that I. I was supposed to listen to Joni Mitchell. Okay. There, no one told me that. I just, for some reason, I was like, it's an important thing for me to be a fan of Joni Mitchell. And it was hard. Like, I, I started with Blue, and I loved, you know, some of the, the songs that people who are, like, fringe Joni fans are, like, point out. You know, like, Case of You, which is, like, an unbelievable song. So, of yeah. course everybody's a fan of that song, but there were moments even on Blue, which I think is one of her um, more easily accessible records that I just, I didn't get yet. And I just kept trying and then something just happened where I just, I just fell madly in love with everything that came out of her mouth. And then I started devouring all of her albums. And I think that that taught me about complexity in songwriting and how important it is to me that a song has, I don't know, I think for a great song, you need to have the ability to stop someone in their tracks for them to like, just really be able to listen and be present with what's happening in the first listen. But it, there needs to be an evolution and it needs to be something that's complex enough in the long run that you can listen to it after 20 years and still be in love with it. And not just because you remember it yeah. and it's like tied to a, a moment in your life. Like that, that to me is master songwriting. And um, that became, I think, a, a subconscious goal of mine after I became a fan of Joni that like, it's not enough for me to just have someone listen to something and be like, I really enjoyed that. And then listen to it a few more times be like, yeah, I listened to that. That's over. Like I want, I want the songs to grow with me and I want to be able to look back and listen to them 20 years later and be like, that's pretty damn good song. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good. You got to, there's a phrase now flying through my head of something called beyond nostalgia that I think is just what you're talking about exactly of just it doesn't just take you back to like because a lot of times music will come into our lives at the right time whether it's during a breakup or something going on with our family or it's just like this beautiful summer day and and you just remember like cruising on a road trip with friends and there's not a worry in the world that kind of stuff goes on but to carry that through life and then that song happens again at this point it means it for you there and I, I that's a really great mature way to look at songwriting and, and that's amazing so let's get into one of your really what i think is a pretty mature song um one of the ones that you're gonna do especially for us is called forgive her is that right mm-hmm. that's what okay yeah. so and i i gotta say that you just have this great vocal performance on here where you just run up and down these scales and oh. i i just love that but they're also very powerful lyrics. Um, so before we play it, I'm wondering if you can just give us a little history of this song. Yeah, I mean, um, last year I was reading a lot of Eckhart Tolle, um, mm. and I had just reread. Um, oh God, what's it called? Power the of Now. One. Not the Power of Now. The first one. Um, Okay, anyway, he talks a lot about the pain body and um, how there's this like entity in all of us that is not actually our ego, but it's connected to our ego and you you inherit this like kind of wall <laughs> that separates you from other people that can be triggered 
triggered from all different kinds of circumstances that are seemingly are random, but they are in part, it's in part built up from personal experience, but it's also hereditary. And I, it, it got me thinking a lot about my, um, my connection with anger or my, my relationship with anger and my relationship with people that I love and why I sometimes can go to this fairly irrational place. I can, I can just get triggered and just like create a story. And then the, the more that I am listening to the story, the angry, angrier I get. Um, so forgive her is kind of, a tutorial for myself and learning how to forgive myself when I get really, really um, in my pain body and not connected with other people. And as I've gotten older and learned how to forge healthier relationships, I've been able to kind of watch it happen more. Um, And really it just kind of boils down to like, we all, have these like wounded children inside of us. They're wounded children that are us. They're wounded children that are our parents. Our parents have active pain bodies and their parents did. And um, the forgiveness that we're capable of having for ourselves can translate to other people and can help us reconnect and break down the wall between the pain body and someone else. Forgive a fool, she doesn't really know what she does, what she did to you, darling. Forgive a fool, she doesn't really know where she goes, where she is in the morning. Forgive her, she becomes a little kid. You never should have been treated that way It's not okay, it's not okay But you'll forgive her anyway It's not okay, but you'll forgive her anyway time more time to find compassion draw another line draw a line in the sand for protection forgive as she becomes a little kid You never should have been treated that way It's not okay, it's not okay But you'll forgive it anyway It's not okay, but you'll forgive it anyway Cause you hate the Stay tuned for more Song Facts Podcast right after this. Ever wonder how my voice is bouncing off your eardrums so clean and crispy? No? Well, let me tell you anyway. The Lyra Microphone by AKG brings their legendary acoustic engineering to a versatile USB mic that delivers the highest quality audio in its class. USB connection. This is good for me because of the simplicity and the ability to just plug and play without an interface. 
You may have gathered from various episodes that I am doing this show on the road. So being that I record most interviews in a different location than the last, it is good for me to know that I have a high-quality, easy-to-transport-and-use USB mic like the Lyra to make sure my sound is clean. Whether you're like me and recording a podcast, a musician recording vocals or an instrument, or if you need to do a voiceover for a YouTube channel, Lyra's innovative AKG Adaptive Capsule Array adapts to your performance to record pristine audio. It has four versatile capture modes. What's a capture mode, you ask? That is how the mic picks up your voice. Just trust me, with these four options, it's really all you're going to need. With AKG Lyra, you'll be up and running in no time, no matter your experience level. There's no assembly, no need for separate audio interface, no fiddling with software settings. It just works right out of the box. And Lyra is something that is compatible with Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices, and all major recording softwares. So. If you're looking for a mic that offers ease of use along with a high-quality sound, check out the AKG Lyra and look no further. That's no, no, no. That's really good. I'm wondering if you've ever heard of a, a field of study called epigenetics. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I just did a deep dive early in quarantine on some epigenetics, and it just blew my mind. Just started connecting so many dots. <laughs> So, I mean, so powerful. There's so much more to be learned in that field. And I know that there's like still a lot of legitimacy yeah. that is like, I'm sorry, my hair is like doing a weird thing. Um, I know that there's um, <laughs> a lot of people who are like, that. It, there's still this feeling that it's like, there's science and then there's like the whoop-de-doop-de science and the epigenetics or sort of is falling in the whoop-de-doop-de science, but I think it's making its way over yeah. into legitimate science, which- Yeah, the more I'm research that they get behind it, I think that, I don't know, it just, it seems to work a lot. I mean, it's almost like, when I was learning, I was just like, this is almost like magic. This is, because it, it is, it's almost that like paranormal, um, these things that these people- have had happened to them or claimed to have had happened to them um yeah okay so i gotta go into this now after a little bit of like just web hacking climbing through different servers i was able to find the only place on the internet that has the absolute truth and it's called <laughs> it's called wikipedia and oh no i'm on wikipedia <laughs> it's so out of date i love it because it's perfect for this question because it says on your Wikipedia that there's a song that you wrote called When the Ship Goes Down, and it's the best song you've ever written. Is that true? And does it remain so? Over the park in a bed of garlands With an ivory banister I can slide down And a man outside that I call Simon How to fall asleep in a cashmere Well, that's really, that's so funny. <laughs> that's so funny. Cause I mean, obviously Wikipedia is just people writing whatever they want to write. So exactly. I'm grateful to whoever said that. Cause it's, <laughs> I, I think, um, I, yeah, I love that song. I, it's definitely one of the songs that from my first record that I still have the Joni kind of like, oh, okay. Years later. Yeah. I feel really, really proud of that song and, yeah. and it kind of is, hits me in different ways later on and I still really like playing it um I think that I've probably evolved as a songwriter since then like yeah. I but I, I think I have to think that <laughs> otherwise yeah exactly it would feel really sad <laughs> 100% so what is it's kind of like this wish list is that what you had in mind of just like envisioning these things that are going on and you just almost like a vision board type thing for uh when a ship goes down yeah yeah, I mean, I, I was living in New York City at the time, and I was just kind of straddling this line between um, being really aware of how small I was and how huge the mountain that I wanted to climb was, mm. and also aware of how there's something about being a young person living in New York. It's really easy to just 
feel like the center of the universe at the same time. Like it's a really romantic city. So if you're feeling good and you're walking around the street, you feel like sometimes you feel like you rule the world. Like there's just an energy thing that happens. And um, I just, it was just a constant back and forth of being really, really humbled and also really, really living in a fantasy world. And that was a lot of my, my early twenties because I was also, um, living my dream. Like I had a record deal. I'd always wanted a record deal. I was on tour. I always wanted to be on tour. Like, you know, people were sometimes coming up to me on the street that I didn't know, <laughs> like in different parts of the country. Wow. And I was, I was being flown around to different parts of the country. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if it was a wish list so much as a like wink at like the things that we think are important. Okay. I could see it coming from that angle too. That makes a lot of sense. You had said something before and I'm trying to like, I want to go back to this and it might take me a minute just to remember exactly what you said, but you said that you can go to a place of anger a lot of times and it kind of just like spirals out of control Mm -hmm. a little bit and you can create these stories that kind of keep taking you deeper into it. And I wanted to go back and touch on that a little bit because I'm wondering if that can also is the same i wonder if you think that's the same part of your brain that also leads you to being able to create these characters and create these stories around them within your songs and if you were to gain more control of that or like get rid of that part if it might affect your ability to like create these songs and these characters hmm i think that's an interesting point i think the answer is no no i think that um there's a lot to be learned and written about in the journey of trying to um, not control anger and control yourself, but in the in the journey of trying to be with what is. Mm-hmm. And so I think that just in the process of trying to uh, connect with people more and and not get siloed off into that angry place. There's a lot of fodder for, for songwriting. Yeah. It's just, there's just a lot of growth and learning that happens. And then ultimately I think the more time that I spend in a place of not trying to control things and in a place of connection with other people and in a place of surrender, I think, the better my songs are. Okay. I And a lot of this record to me is a beginning of thinking that way. Like I, I used to kind of like to stew in stuff and write about the stewing. And I'm somebody that writes a lot of songs. So yeah. for every record that I'm putting out, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs that have been written. And like, I'm, I, I'm at least a 200 song a year person, but probably more than that. Wow. So what that means is not necessarily that I wrote 200 songs that are all equally great and all need to be on a record. But what I'm, I think transitioning into is this place of understanding that the songs that really feel like they deserve a place on a record that people respond to are the ones that I kind of, I'm not stewing. Like I can reflect on the stuff that's tough and I can embody different characters and go down different kind of like roads in my mind and stuff. But that kind of like closed off angry place really doesn't, it doesn't create for me a song that has a spark. Yeah. Because there's no sense of like hope in it. And I I forget, I feel like I was watching Midnight in Paris or something. And (laughs) one of the famous artists that was, you know, featured in that movie said something like it's the artist's job to be, to take something that's hard and to take life and then make something out of it, like give people hope in some way. And I think about that a lot with songwriting. You know, that's that's an interesting thing to say because there's a, um, I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of songwriters by doing this and that's kind of a recurring theme. There's a lot of people that are 
I've talked to that have written songs over the summer due to like the Black Lives Matter things, um, quarantine blues, the all these types of things that are on people's minds, and they get a lot of this goes to it's my job to filter through what people are thinking and create it in a way that can be broadcast out as art and understood so that they can better understand themselves. That's kind of what I feel like my position is as this musician and songwriter. It's a really, I don't know, it's a really unique spot to be in. It's a, it's a gift. And I think that when you can touch on that and you can communicate that to people and, and touch people with it, it's what an important thing and what an amazing thing to be able to, to do and to have that as your career. The, the amount of gratitude that I imagine that you feel all the time is just surreal. Yeah. When, well, and that's part of trying to, uh, I'm always looking for personal growth and the moments when I really can be present with that and be in gratitude with it. I, nothing in my life needs to change, you know, (laughs) like uh, there's no, there's no like insurmountable mountain anymore it's just like oh this is what i do and i'm at peace with that and that's pretty awesome a long way to come from that girl in who wrote um when the ship goes down who was looking at climbing the mountain um yeah absolutely so now you're looking at the mountain and being like "Eh." (laughs) there's other mountains yeah (laughs) or like that that could be a fun mountain to climb not like i have to climb that mountain and if i don't i'm gonna die like yeah (laughs) Yeah. Amazing what age can do for us, isn't it? Um, Okay. So one of my favorites, and I'm curious if this is what you're going to think of this, but insanely catchy and fun song, Graveyard Boyfriend. It's Tuesday night and I'm asleep and a quick vibration startles me out of my deep slumber. What's that number? Oh my God, I can't believe he's coming. And what I'm really interested, it's such a, I don't know, I think it stands out on the record because it doesn't really sound like the rest of the album. So was it intentional to write this grim song title with such an upbeat groove and melody? No, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had just gotten my, uh, my organ. I have like three different organs in my studio, but I had, and I have my Whirly um, and I had just gotten my Hammond and I was like, I need to justify the fact that I got this. (laughs) So I need to be writing on it because I'm not going to be touring with it. So um, I was, I was just trying to write songs on an organ and, and songs that you're just writing on an organ kind of sound better when there's just kind of like a consistent kind of staccato thing happening but this is also from somebody who's not like an organ player like there are organ players and then there are piano players who can play an organ because they just put their hands in the same place and that's me so um (laughs) i was writing a lot on my my hammond and i just wrote it. I don't know. I mean, oh. I also have been listening a lot to that album by Diana Ross, Surrender, which is one of my favorite albums. Okay. <laughs> um, and so that that kind of put me in that place. And and I had made my last record with a guy in Nashville named Dave Cobb, who mm-hmm. at the end of making our record was like, he turned me on to that Diana Ross record and was like, what if you do something kind of like this? Like, so he had me try to write one more song for the album that we made. And I wrote, I wrote one and it was cool, but it just didn't really fit with everything else. So I didn't end up using it, but I was still kind of still trying to write that song for, for Dave kind of. And, Mm -hmm. And then I was working with this other wonderful producer here in Nashville, uh, named Gregory Latimer. And he was, he was like, trying to get me to write stupid songs he was like <laughs> just write something dumb just be dumb just dumb. like his favorite word is dumb and i love him so much he's like such an optimistic <laughs> beautiful human being so i think it was just a culmination of all of those things um so i was just trying to be 
frivolous yeah and dumb and right on my organ and then something catchy came out it really did it's so catchy it's it's just it's stuck in my head today when i was i was at the gym this morning i was just, i listened to it before i left because i was putting together our outline and i was just this is just so catchy and then i came home and i went top to bottom on the record for the first time instead of just kind of going and, and picking and choosing and i was just like yeah this sounds so unique on this album and i was it doesn't surprise me that it was probably written in a different way than you normally do because of that um what is it that you're most proud of with this new album um i feel like nice floral pants by the way it's the first i'm getting a a, a view of these this is amazing <laughs> they're actually men and women i believe chinese men and women based on the clothes <laughs> that they're wearing um and these are pajama bottoms that i wear as pants they look so comfortable my mother-in-law gave them to me because he <laughs> has a pair. And when we were in Mexico together, when actually my husband proposed to me, she was wearing these pants and I loved them. And then for my birthday, the next year, she Amazing. Got Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I always interrupt with that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, it's a good, it's good. Um, uh, what am I the most proud of from this record? Because it's been about four years since your last one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Has. Um, I feel like somehow through these songs, I was able to really honestly articulate the journey that I've been on in the last okay. few years. And I don't know, no, well, I don't know what just came out of my mouth, but, um, <laughs> I, I, that's maybe not the most exciting answer, but before we started putting music out from this record, I was listening to it in my kitchen um, and turned it up really loud. And I, the first song on the record, which um, isn't gonna come out until the record comes out, is mm -hmm. a song called Many Moons. And it just made me cry. Like I just, I was like, wow, like I don't think I knew when I was writing this song or when I put it first on the record, how much this just is everything that's been ha like there's just a lot of joy there's a lot of sadness but it's not defeated sadness and i just somehow was able to say it in a really honest way and yeah. um i'm really proud that that comes through as clearly as it does so yeah no it's really interesting because when i decided to go through the album top to bottom this afternoon i was I, I always kind of wonder why I always wonder about song order, but especially the first song. And I, I'm glad you just kind of touched on that because it does make sense when you think about the fact that it's been four years since the last album that came out. And then um, you've had this journey, this, this self-discovery, all these things that happen as, as time goes on for all of us. And then to just name a song, Mini Moons. And I think it's a great song. It's got a lot of nice textured layering to it that I think is uh, people are going to really like. And I don't know, your, your voice is just, when you go back and listen to some of this stuff, I think it seems to me that you've really started to experiment a little bit more with your voice and where you can go as a vocalist and then you know obviously with your melodies and and that relates to your songwriting because you're like i want to write this melody but can i do it and should i do it and and just going for it and so good for you i think that the confidence is high this is the song that i think shows it the most and this is the song that you're going to do another version for us with and um this one's called I shouldn't go anywhere. You kind of already mentioned it earlier. Mm -hmm. Now, Rolling Stone had said it has hints of the bends by Radiohead. I want to ask you first, how does that make you feel? Awesome. I would I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and I 100% agree with that. So where did this come from? Because this to me is a little bit, I don't think that people would necessarily expect this. And I definitely don't think they would expect it to come out of someone living in Nashville. So. I moved to Nashville because I was making a record with Dave Cobb and he was here and I felt that there was a sense of community here that was available to me very easily. Yeah. That was really hard to find in New York and LA. I had it in those other places, but 
it was, it just felt different here. And I just, it was a very um, fast decision that I made. I didn't move here because I wanted to be in country music. I didn't move here because I wanted to write songs with a million other people. Mm -hmm. And I didn't move here because I was in love with the South, honestly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I, in fact, all of those things were reasons that prior to moving to Nashville, I said I would never move to Nashville. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I moved to Nashville, I never thought that I was going to change who I am as a musician and I haven't. Uh, So when I wrote, I shouldn't go anywhere. It was just another song like that sound. I think that I shouldn't go anywhere probably sounds the most like me. Like it comes from the, the kind of like brooding, very melodic, interesting, unexpected chord structure place that feels like home to me. Um, And I, I wrote it actually, it was the first, it was the earliest song that I wrote on the record. So I wrote it like it kind of a long time ago. Um, And I think what really helped renew it for me and bring it to life was my producer, Joe Pasapia. Like that song had been kicking around for a while and I was kind of overplaying it for people because it just felt so heavy, Mm -hmm. but um, I was proud of proud of the song. And then Joe is just like a master guitar player. And he has a way of being so melodic with his, and so just like natural with his guitar playing that mm-hmm. it just fits with what I write. Um, so I really felt like it, it took this song that that I've had in my pocket for a while, and took it into this sonic place that was really exciting to me. Like I'd been listening to a fair amount of Steely Dan and um, I was listening to that Joni record Court and Spark a lot, which Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite records, but I had put it down for a long time and I didn't pick it back up until a couple years ago. So he, he just like refreshed it, but never in any conversation about making this record or ever in, in the trajectory in my career have I thought, well, this, I want to sound like Nashville. And, and it's actually one of the things that I love about living in Nashville is I feel like it's, I feel special because yeah. I'm doing it differently. And I get to like surprise people with the, my process. And um, it's kind of fun to be so like, a little bit of a weirdo. No excuses, they are useless Pointing blame has proven fruitless It just gets me more upset And it makes me feel pathetic With my glassy eyes I think I can see inside Pierce the wall, find the goal But it's just the alcohol
I read there was some great quote and I can't remember exactly where it was or where it came from, but it was when you think of these Nashville songwriting um, groups of people that get together and, and pump out all these songs, it's a lot of three chord country songs. And, and it related you to someone who's like, no, you're going to listen to this song. That's going to be 12 different chords and <laughs> there's going to be a lot going on. And I think that that's a great place for you to find yourself. Um, I hope that when this album comes out, Everyone goes to buy it, and we will do our little part to help promote it. And I just can't thank you enough, Gillette Johnson, for being with me for a little bit today and, and sharing some of your stories, and um, just really appreciative. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Thank you so much to Gillette. Amazingly talented person. I wish I could play the piano like that so badly. Go check out her new album, February 12th. Find it in the show notes, and as always... For the stories behind the songs, go to songfacts.com. Get your song facts. Get your song facts back.